This is the Political Monitor Podcast, brought to you by the Concord Monitor. In today's episode, we break down the state of the biggest New Hampshire races, and we look back at the last couple of months of political events. My name's Clay Wirestone. I'm a writer and editor here at The Monitor, and I am joined today by Monitor Managing Editor Jonathan Van Fleet. Hi, John. Hello, Clay. It is always a pleasure, but particularly today. Uh-huh. For reasons that we no doubt will get into soon enough. We'll delve deeply. Yes, and monitor reporter Ella Nelson. Hello, hello, Ella. Hi, Clay. So here we all are. About gosh, it must be two months since our last podcast. John, what's been going on since then? I'm sorry, Clay. Could you pass the tissues? Uh, you know, there's there's no reason no reason for sobs. Not yet. Maybe maybe in like three or four days. Okay. Why has it been so long since we've done this? I don't know. Uh, well, I wasn't actually asking why. I was asking what had happened. Oh, uh, what had since, happened since then? <laughs> that is a much that is a much better question with a much better answer. Uh, there's there's been a lot. Obviously, the the New Hampshire's big political race right now is for the U.S. Senate. Many people say the balance of the U.S. Senate hangs depending on who wins, Kelly Ayotte or Maggie Hassan. Mm-hmm. And today was the first day that either of them could file. So isn't that interesting how much has been said about this race before it's officially started? And, of course, both of them need to go through primaries, or at least Kelly Ayotte has a primary challenger. So there's been that. Uh, we have an emerging race for governor. We have had a lot of political bombs thrown towards Hassan and mm-hmm. back towards Ayotte too, uh, especially about Hassan's out-of-state travel. And we have fact-checked some of those claims. And by we, we mean I have. Yes. But also the Ali royal Moore. we. Yes, Ali Morris has, has done some coverage on that as well. Um, and of course, the other big thing that's happened in the last couple of months, I guess, I guess since March, is that um, Donald Trump has wrapped up his quest to become the Republican nominee for president. He now has the the delegates necessary to secure the nomination, um, which at, at, the, at the point that we talked last, I believe that was still kind of in question. You know, Ted Cruz was trying to get enough de- delegates to make it possible to contest the nomination at a convention. But well, just before we came in here, Ella was saying that Mitt Romney uh, was about to run. No, her, I, her I, said, said. I said no such thing. <laughs> yes, I think I think uh, right now there are some efforts by some prominent conservatives to to find some sort of independent candidate, and right now they have someone named David French, I guess that they're talking about. He's a columnist for the National Review, a a lawyer, and a former he was formerly in the service. He's the only one that said yes. Pretty much, yes. That's the that's the problem. Um, There's not a lot of people running to mount a third-party challenge to Trump, which is surprising in a way, because I think if you'd gone back three or four months and asked people if 
you know, people would say, that, oh, there's a ripe opportunity there, but it's not happening. I think what's surprised me, and I guess everybody, is just how seemingly unstoppable Donald Trump has been. It just nothing. I was talking to a UNH political professor today, a political science professor, and he was just saying, nothing seems to ever stick to Trump. And that is, I think, very true. Yes, although we're talking here about the the Republican side, and you know, there's going to be books written, no doubt, for years and decades to come to explain what what made Trump's rise possible. But certainly, running against sixteen candidates uh, ended up helping him far more than it hurt him. And um, you know, and um, there's also just was a space for kind of a rhetoric that he had that no one else was was using at the time. Mm-hmm. But, um, and also up to this point, he's only been competing on the GOP side of things. Right. I think the question is going to be as we go into the summer and fall, how does the Trump brand translate to a general election campaign? Which, even though, you know, the polls might say otherwise, we're still not really in a general election campaign as long as you still have uh, Bernie Sanders out there holding rallies. So, you know, we shall see. We shall. Well, I, I talk to folks, and uh, folks. folks folks say <laughs> that it doesn't matter what Trump said or ever says, that there's never been a candidate like Trump that exists in retail, that exists in name recognition, that exists on reality TV, that exists in political spaces, that he is everywhere. And so that's why he blows up the political strategy that the apolitical people, that the parties are always trying to get to the polls, Trump will actually do it. Second of all, folks say, and these are different folks, that Trump's got... He's going to bring up all the old dirty laundry from Bill, and he's going to dump it on the doorstep of the election, and people are going to be so fed up with the Clinton legacy that Donald Trump is the next president of the United States of America. I think there are two responses to these these points that folks bring up. (laughs) One of them being the bringing a formerly apolitical people into the process. And in a way that's right, but not necessarily the way that folks uh, sometimes say, which is that I believe if you dig into the numbers, and the, you know, these are analysts who are smarter than I have looked at it, essentially what has happened is that Trump turned up, Trump increased turnout, but not, but the turnout he increased was primary turnout. So in other words, the people that showed up to vote for Trump in the primary are people who would almost certainly vote in the general election come November, but that don't traditionally participate in the Republican primary process, which is usually a more kind of closed, more conservative audience. So when people say it's like, oh, Trump voters have never shown up before, that's that's not precisely true. They have. It's just that they haven't been in this part of the, the process. So this notion somehow that they would totally change like what happens in November, those are generally people who would vote in November anyway and usually vote for the Republican. Now, the second question that you're talking about, the the Clinton scandals, this is something I'm actually really fascinated to find out Um, because, you know, certainly for someone like myself, I went through college um, 
it was the very beginning of my college years, but I, I remember the Clinton, the, you know, the Clinton impeachment really well. And, you know, that, that whole experience was litigated and relitigated and people talked about it so much. And, you know, you had at that point, you had the, the, the bizarre kind of side effect that because it was gone over so many times, Clinton's approval ratings actually rose during the impeachment uh, saga. People just ended up feeling like the Congress was focusing on triviality, you know. And so for, for, for many years after that point, then no one talked about the Clinton scandals or, or Bill Clinton scandals, at least, because the, the thought was, it's like, well, there's no political benefit for Republicans. We've tried it. It made him stronger. I think the question is now that it's essentially been, you know, nearly 20 years now since the impeachment. You know, is there truly a new group of voters who have not heard these claims before, have not had this stuff litigated, and does it make a difference to them? And Ella, you're probably a little closer in, in age than I am to, to some of these voters, but I mean, I, I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, it has been interesting. I feel like I talk to, I, I definitely have talked to people who are my age who are Clinton supporters, but I do feel and have felt this from the beginning of last, you know, last summer when Bernie Sanders emerged on the scene, I was surprised at how many of my, uh, you know, friends my age on Facebook were sharing their support of Bernie Sanders and just so vehemently sharing their support of never people who I'd never seen get politically involved before. And I think that's continued. Um, and I think that, uh, you know, I find that people are kind of digging up a lot of stuff about the Clintons and just posting it on their Facebook and, and, you know, just using it this as a, a, another point to demonstrate how, you know, corrupt and evil Hillary Clinton is. And that's sort of the, the line that you hear again and again and again, um, from, from young people, um, sharing on social media. So I do think it's going to be interesting. I do think that the perception of Hillary Clinton as a crook and a liar, um, maybe not just because of her husband's, you know, infidelities and, and political scandal, but for other reasons, people certainly uh, dig into that a lot. Um, so I don't know. I am going to have to wait and see. You know, does Trump essentially, does Trump trump everything else right. in the race? You know, is, is stopping Donald Trump going to be enough to take younger voters who might have been diehard Bernie Sanders supporters and turn them out for Hillary Clinton. I do think that the, these same Bernie Sanders supporters who really hate Hillary Clinton also really hate Donald Trump. But it is true. It's going to be sort of like they are kind of the the people, the, I don't know if they're going to determine who wins the general election, but Bernie Sanders is in all likelihood not going to be the Democratic nominee. So I think these people have a very important role to play in what happens uh, in November. So we're going to see. So, John. Mm -hmm. that's, Ella, Ella, could you pass the, the tissues? That's, <laughs> you know, we're, you keep wanting these tissues, but... Um, there's uh, a newspaper right there, John. Just use that. Come on. I'll wipe away my tears. <laughs> oh, yeah. Leave ink stains. Mm -hmm. Um... So that's kind of the presidential side of things. Um, you were mentioning, let's see. So which of the which of these which of these New Hampshire stories would you want to tackle? Well, next? before we move on, Clay. Yes. I did. I did want to say many people have 
many folks have said that if Donald Trump is elected president, they will move to Canada. Right. But didn't you say that if he's he's elected president, you'd move to Kansas? No, that's that's actually happening before any um, election uh, for Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, for that matter. So, yes, I am this very next week heading back to my home state of Kansas, uh, along with my family for a uh, position at the Topeka Capital Journal, the capital city newspaper of Topeka and Kansas. So what is hot in Kansas right now? What's going on there? Well, the one of the big stories there right now is the Supreme Court uh, of Kansas has ruled that the legislature must adequately fund education and has given them a June 30th deadline. And, and it's not like New Hampshire's, um, New Hampshire's court rulings, which has left the legislature to determine what adequacy is. In Kansas, the Supreme Court has actually said this is what adequacy is and that the legislature has to fund it. If it is not funded by June 30th, the court has said it will close the schools. Hmm. Schools out for the summer and then some. Right. Um, le- legislators at this point, you know, so it's kind of a game of chicken right now because some of the folks in the legislature are saying, you know, we're just not going to do it and we'll let the, we'll see what happens. See what happens. Fascinating. Is there a Claremont, Kansas? Uh, I don't, I don't know actually if there's a Claremont, Kansas, but, but yes, this has been a long running, like most of these kind of school adequacy lawsuits, which I think are in many states. It's a long running saga. As we know, nothing screams readership like adequacy for education stories. However, closing all the schools, you know, is is, is a much hotter story. Yeah, that's true. So if if they actually go that far. Mm -hmm. So thank you, Ella, for asking a question about Kansas that I could answer. Absolutely. Isn't tornado, tornado season right upon us as well? Um, there have been some tornadoes, yes. Well, that's news. Eh. Tornadoes. I've grown up with them. They're fine. <laughs> I don't know if anyone would ever describe a tornado as fine. Well, you know, there's a lot of them. Most of the time, they don't hit anything. Cross our, cross our fingers. Yeah. Knock on wood. So, um, so yes, that is, uh, you know, I've been here at the Monitor for 11 years. So that's, uh, that's a good, good spell. Now we all take a moment of silence, apparently. <laughs> there won't be a moment of silence because John's, John's cry, John's tears will be too loud. That's right. You will be missed, Clay. I thank you, Jeff. Yes. You will be missed as well. Thanks. And Ella. Mm-hmm. And actually, well, and everyone. So it has, it, has been a, it has been great fun for the vast majority of those 11 years. <laughs> um. You know, because the monitor has, and you know, especially concerning politics, you know, I think done an exemplary job over, again, the vast majority of that time, um, covering things. And of course, New Hampshire has a lot of political news. Sure does. And, Such as and oh yes, perfect segue. <laughs> Such as you want to talk more about Donald Trump and his his fiery press conference yesterday flanked by two state representatives from New Hampshire from New Hampshire who just decided that they were going to drive up and show Donald their support road trip right right 
Well, we wouldn't give to be a fly on the wall in that SUV. Okay, so Trump has uh, said that he had donated millions of dollars to veterans organizations, and the Washington Post in particular. Six million dollars. Yes, uh, which number has now been amended to 5.6, I believe. But uh, the Washington Post and other news outlets had been really pressing him to say where, who got the money and and uh, where it went. And so he, uh, he held this press conference, some choice words for the liberal media. What did he say? Call them lowlifes? Well, uh, he called uh, one guy from ABC a sleazebag, I think. So there you go. Mm-hmm. So then comes Al Baldassero from Londonderry and Fred Doucette from Salem to the rescue. So they flank Trump, stand behind him, and then uh, Al Baldassaro is given his moment at the microphone and eloquently tells the media to get their heads out of their butts. So New Hampshire... Um, shined at that press conference and uh, Ali Morris our reporter spoke to Fred Doucette and Al Baldassaro who is not to be confused with Lou D'Alessandro a Democrat who is very different or Captain Lou Albano okay but uh, Ali Morris spoke to both of those gentlemen and what Ella said was true. They basically said, hey, you want to go down to the press conference? And they hopped in the car and they went there and Trump wasn't expecting them, but said, hey, why don't you guys come up on stage with me? They're both veterans and uh, they showed their support for their candidate, Donald Trump. They are both heavy Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's, it's interesting too, I believe the reporting came out today that um, I think it was the post. Someone was was uh, double checking with these agencies that Trump said had received his money, and apparently the vast majority of them, the checks that they received had been dated the day that the post had contacted Trump and started asking him questions about where it, the money went mm-hmm. or if the money existed at all. So it was all basically all the checks were dated May twenty fourth. So. Um, you know, it, it is very interesting, though, too, I think, that you you see in this story, I think, the seeds of, you know, if somebody wanted to run, like, kind of a, a more effective anti-Trump strategy, I mean, I think this is it. Because this is one of the rare times when you see him kind of on the defensive and kind of pressed to explain himself. And, you know, do, does that endear him to voters? It, it might, Some voters, it might. But... You know, certainly it's not him being in command anymore of the, of the situation. It's, it's him having to react. Mm-hmm. I do think that one of the interesting things, the one of the most interesting stories about Trump that, that the New York Times had an article um, out today about Trump University and, and uh, former Trump University employees that were basically saying this was essentially a scam. Um, and I think that's super fascinating um, because one of the, the thing that I heard over and over again from people on the campaign trail who are Donald Trump supporters or people who are saying, you know, he's such a great businessman. And, you know, I think that with his business acumen, he really can, you know, quote unquote, make America great again. Um, but, and, and of course he's sort of turning this argument around saying, well, I was, you know, trying to, 
in in my own way maybe make some make some money this is not necessarily you know for for my own ends i still was able to make that money and i can put that that same uh you know tactic to good use for the country but uh, i don't i don't know if he can argue that he has america's best interests at heart or had american people's best interests at heart in that particular case i think trump university is a you know it's clearly the gold mine for democrats you know, finding the Trump University students who, you know, paid a bunch of money and got negligible returns on that. So, you know, that that will be interesting. But but I think certainly the last couple of weeks have shown us that, you know, this race is is not going to be a cakewalk for, for anyone. You know, it's it's not going to be, you know, Trump's going to be called to account in a way that he hadn't been probably for a lot of the primary. Hillary Clinton is going to have to just keep churning away, you know, and, and she's going to face the same questions with Donald Trump that she faced with Bernie Sanders, which is, you know, even though Hillary Clinton has never actually fallen behind Trump in terms of like polls of polls, you know, she's always been up, a, you know, at least a point or two. Sometimes it's been really substantial, but sometimes it's been closer. You know, she's going to have to answer questions over and over. It's like, well, why aren't you further ahead? Why aren't you putting this away? You know, why, why is this so hard for you? Maybe we should have gone with Bernie after all. So I, th I think it's just, it's, likely to be a slog for everyone involved slog slog it is it is um and in new hampshire the governor's race you mentioned uh, before we move on oh yes i did want to say that ali talked to a couple of those veterans charities in new hampshire uh including the liberty house and veterans count and they got their checks last week mm -hmm. okay so last week which yep kind of Jives with what you were saying. Yes, yes. So, um, but yes, uh, you want to talk about Maggie Hassan, Maggie Hassan, and Kelly Ayotte, right? That is a that is a race that's interesting to me because everyone knows it's important, and yet it feels like everyone is kind of holding their fire for now. I mean, yes. What? I just, I, that that just makes me, I, I think that, no, I think that's true. But if you go on the hashtag NH politics Twitter, nobody is holding back their fire. It's like Democratic and Republican operatives. I know that's what they do, Especially but I feel like today. the sniping has just gotten way out of hand. Well, and the Hassan being an absentee governor critique from the Republicans, you know, that was their first kind of, one of their first sustained line of lines of attack, I think, against Hassan. Um which is, you know, it's, it's an interesting attack because I think they've tried to paint her as like a partisan hack. They've tried to paint her. They've done all sorts of things that haven't quite stuck because I think it's generally polling shows that voters approve of Hassan's performance. Generally, I think she's seen as fairly bipartisan. So where do you attack her? I think the absenteeism thing is, you know, that's a charge that actually has nothing to do with policy. You know, it doesn't have to do with her being a liberal or a moderate or anything. It has to do with you know, are you here? And I, and I think that's that's probably why they're hitting it so hard because it doesn't require them to make like a pro-Republican message as much as, you know, painting someone as a perhaps an opportunist or someone who's, you know, kind of scheming to get ahead, mm -hmm. let's say. And it's a tough spot 
for Hassan to defend because she needs the money in order to run a successful campaign. Mm-hmm. So she's got to go to these fundraisers. And if she's and if they're actually making hay with these criticisms, that's what I mean by she's in a tough spot yep. because she really needs the money in order to mount a successful campaign against AOT. And yet, if she's got to stay home, how is she going to get all that money? Well, and I mean, this is how, in a way, I mean, <laughs> you know, I know it's astonishing to say that a politician has any ounce of hypocrisy in them. But of course, you know, Kelly Ayotte's job means that she is in Washington, D.C. a lot. And, you know, amazingly, I'm sure there are a lot of fundraisers and party things that she can do in Washington, D.C. that she could, she, it would be harder for her to do if she had to be in New Hampshire all the time. So, you know, there's, there's, a, fundamentally in, there's a fundamental inequality between the, the two folks there. And, you know, it is what it is. That's my deep opinion on the matter. It is what it is. Well, I mean, it's it's unequal. It's in it's in, it's unequal, and you know, I think I think Hassan, you know, Hassan hasn't really addressed it yet. But we're not really at the point in the campaign where the candidates are kind of lobbing these frontal assaults at each other personally. Well, there's two salient points to bring up. One is the actual number of days that Hassan has been away from New Hampshire, and Ayotte's campaign counted. Uh, it and put the number at thirty of the last ninety days. Not February through February through March. No, I mean fe- February through a- February March and April. Yes. Right. So you count you uh, fact checked that statement. Mm-hmm. What did you find, Clay? Well, I mean, in absolute terms, she did have political travel on thirty days out of those out of the ninety days in- involved. The, where it gets more complicated is if you're talking about is she spending the entire day outside of the state, or is she just driving up to Boston for something? Um, and I think it's you know there's a I would say of those thirty days, I believe fourteen of them she had an event in New Hampshire of at least one kind or another that was public the same day that she traveled, and then on sixteen days she didn't. So I mean that makes us that look, makes it looks somewhat different uh, in terms of the numbers. Uh, you know, something else, she was out of the state on political travel for 10 days in February, but five of those were going to the National Governors Association Conference, which is this big nonpartisan kind of good government group. And I mean, and she went to some kind of partisan events during those five days that she was in D.C., which is why her campaign reported them. But again, you know, that makes it look a little a little more complicated. And, and frankly, I mean, it's, it only makes sense that if you're the governor of New Hampshire, you're going to be, well, not only at the National Governor's Convention, but that she'll probably be going down to Massachusetts fairly regularly. I mean, that's a state that's pretty critical to New Hampshire's economy and, um, you know, population in, in a lot of ways. Um, but yes, we ended up scoring that statement mostly true. Um, although that, you know, kind of came from an earlier fact check that I was, was looking on, working on looking specifically at um, April that was, I think, probably a little less true. Mm-hmm. But, but that's, that's dealt with in, this, in the story. So. And then after your fact check ran, Allie, we ran another story by Allie Morris that took a look into uh, who pays for Hassan's travel. She has said on multiple occasions that New Hampshire taxpayers are not paying for her political travel. And, uh, however, it looks like the for the troopers that are uh, you know service or security or the officials service or security, their overtime and 
is it just their overtime or also just their pay? Their pay and their overtime. Yeah, yeah, so it, was, it, was, it gets down to what do you consider travel? So the campaign considers it just meals, air airfare expenses. That's what they're paying. But they're not picking up the tab for their salary and overtime, mm-hmm. which for roughly the last year wound up being, uh, I believe, 44000 42000 for the two uh, troopers that guard Hassan. That was that was interesting information. Well, and this is something that came up in the presidential race too, in the primary with Republicans, where both John Kasich and Chris Christie, who's sitting governors of states, you know, had their security details with them, and taxpayers in their respective states paid a bunch. You know, arguably more than you know New Hampshire taxpayers have paid for Hassan because she's not running for president yet. Um, although, frankly, I thought that was a that was a really fascinating story, and you know. I mean, if, if, if I was an oppo researcher for the GOP, that, that would certainly be something that would make my, my eyebrows perk up. Um, but, I, but I think to, to myself, and I'm doing another uh, transition here, John, so if you want to mm-hmm. stop me, stop me now. But otherwise, I will say that with Hassan moving on from the governor's chair, so to speak, um, I think that comes to the race that I see as kind of the biggest mystery coming up this fall, and it won't be one I'm able to cover firsthand, sadly. But, um, you know, who is going to be the state's next governor? And I just feel, and I mean, admittedly, we're still in the, the primary season, but my goodness, that seems like a very unsettled kind of race. It is a very unsettled race, and uh, I'm just working on a story for this weekend about the wide field with seven candidates um, vying for that spot. And they're all very diverse and nobody knows who they are. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, yeah, which is part of what makes this such a, you know, such kind of a black box. Right. Who who knows what what happens. So on the Democratic side, we have Executive Counselor Colin Van Ostern. Right. Um, Mark Connolly. Mark Connolly, right. Former... Former regulator. Right. Former regulator and also a businessman on the coast. And then who's the third? The third is Steve Marchand, who is the former mayor of Portsmouth. Right. And then, and those are your, are those all the Democrats? Those are all the Democrats, yeah. Yeah. And on the Republican side, the biggest name, I guess, is Manchester Mayor Ted Gatsis. Well, I think it's it's a I think that's a, a draw between Chris Sununu, oh right, um, executive counselor Chris Sununu, who I you know he has the family name, the Sununu family name, but as far as him as a person, he's a, a businessman. He uh, runs Waterville Valley, and he's an executive counselor from the Seacoast area. Um, Jeannie Forrester, Jeannie right? Forrester, a state senator, and then Frank Edelblue, um, representative Frank Edelblue. Who I've I've have been hearing, even though nobody knows who he is, and he does not have uh you know as much experience as the other three candidates he's running against on the Republican side. Apparently, uh, Republicans in New Hampshire have been impressed with him at his his campaign events. So, so, so it's really something that unless you're kind of be a resident of Manchester. Or, you know, you you've obviously kind of know the Sununu family name. Right. There's not a lot that people know about um, many of these candidates. Right, absolutely. And so right now, um, uh, UNH, the New Hampshire Survey Center at UNH, recently did a, a poll with WMUR. 
and they found that Sununu and Gatses have the most name recognition, and they're on fairly equal footing um, in terms of their name recognition. But uh, you know, Gatses has recognition because he's the right the mayor of Portsmouth, the largest city in the state. And, oh, Manchester. Yes, sorry, Manchester, not Portsmouth. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and then, and obviously, with the the opioid crisis, he's he's been in the news quite a lot with that. Um, also, is a somewhat prominent critic of Maggie Hassan at various right, points too. Right, absolutely. So um, those two guys definitely have the most name recognition out of uh, any of the candidates running and um, considerably more than than any of the Democratic candidates. So, I mean, it's it's one of the, the questions, I guess, which is, um, is that kind of native advantage in, you know, kind of prominence, name recognition on the GOP side, does that give them kind of an edge going into the fall? Right. Or is kind of that national race where everybody pays attention to Clinton and Trump, is that going to just kind of slide down ballot and help out the Democrats. Well, so I was, I think that uh, Democratic operatives in New Hampshire right now think that that they, you know, I've, I've gotten some some coffees with some of them and, and talked about the state of the race so far. And everybody agrees it's very early. The Democrats that I've talked to so far are, you know, pretty, uh, you know, ex- not, not excited. I think that they, you know, still understand that this is a serious race. But with Trump at the top of the uh, the ticket, that it's going to have an effect on the the Senate race and the governor's race. I think that's a pretty common view. Um, but I was talking to uh, Professor Andy Smith at UNH today, and he said that he doesn't really think that it. You know, it's tough to tell at this point, but he doesn't really think that the the specter of Trump is necessarily going to do much damage to somebody like Kelly Ayotte or whoever the Republican. Uh, nominee for governor is going to be. Well, as I was just telling Ralph Minnes here, our um, our uh, editorial writer and former uh, editorial page editor, what has surprised me about Kelly Ayotte, and I've been here now for the you know the entirety of her of her term as as senator, was you know when she ran for senate, she had. I mean, it was a it was a dicey campaign at various moments. You know, she barely made it out of the Republican primary um, back in uh, 2010. Um, and what's what's interesting to me is is looking at that after such a difficult after she had such a difficult time, really, you know, getting into the office. She has, I think, worked very hard over the last six years to kind of establish kind of a very positive New Hampshire brand in, you know, from, from the Senate. Now, kind of regardless of what she might have actually voted for, you know, she's gotten very cozy with John McCain, who's very, you know, still, I think, has a lot of support here. She's, you know, tried very hard to, to seem as though she was kind of independent. And so, I, I mean, I think she, you know, she just seems very, it, she seems much stronger for re-election than I think I I would have expected, and probably more than some Democrats maybe expected a year or so ago. Yeah, I certainly think that a lot of people like Kelly Ayotte. Um, That's just something that I hear um, over and over again. You know, whether or not they agree with with her policies, I think that she is a fairly well-liked senator, which, you know, that that, uh, accounts for something. Yeah, I mean, and I and I think that's that's something too that a lot of people, 
even if they say that they're Republicans or that they say that they're Democrats, I don't know that people, a lot of voters necessarily go into that voting booth thinking about what's this person's stance on X? What's this person's stance on Y? Mm -hmm. A lot of times it comes down to, you know, well, maybe I'm a Republican, but, you know, I like this person or I like that person. And with with uh, New Hampshire's notorious independent streak, I think it's going to be interesting because I do think that you know uh, Ayotte certainly comes out across as more of a, a oh sorry like more of a moderate Republican, um, and uh, you know Hassan I I think as well maybe sort of a more moderate Democrat. So um, I think they could you know maybe draw draw either. Mm-hmm. So John. Yes, Clay. Any more thoughts? Well, I I heard some people are hoping Joe Biden jumps into the race. You know, I read an article about that just yesterday (laughs) when some people were suggesting that... Some folks. Folks. Folks online were suggesting that um, if Hillary Clinton loses California to Bernie Sanders, there would be a push, perhaps, to try to... um, replace both her and Sanders at the convention <laughs> with Joe Biden. So. There you go. That would be a race. Wouldn't it? I mean, one can only imagine. Well, Clay. John. It's been a pleasure. I indeed I have has. no idea where this podcast will go without you. Um, yeah, who is going to take on the podcast? I don't know. The next big question. The microphone is here. For whosoever chooses to use it, because the the monitor reimbursed me for that one. So it's owned by the company, not by me. Mm. Who paid for that microphone? The monitor, you know, I'm trying to do a Reagan (laughs) reference, but I kind of botched it. So anyway, well, Well, I still work here. I paid for this microphone, (laughs) Mr. Green. That's right. What was the guy's name, though? Breen. Breen, right. Breen. So it was not only a catchy line, but he double insulted him because he didn't even get his name right. There you go. Primary lore, right? Indeed. Well, thank you, Ella. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, John. All right. Thank you, Clay. That's Any that. Pass the tissues? No. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can keep up with all the latest political events at ConcordMonitor.com under the Politics tab. And on a personal note, I'd like to say thank you so much to all of the people who have read, who have listened, and who have worked with me here at the Monitor and in New Hampshire over these last 11 years. It's been a delight. And let's do it again soon.